Hello, everybody. Welcome to Amen, where we have the power of God and anime on our sides. My name is Greg. Today, I'm joined by Nick, and we have our favorite pastor and training friend back with us. Welcome back, Joe, to the podcast. Nice. I'm glad to be back here, man. It's always, yeah, it's always good to have Joe on. He, you know mm-hmm. that Joe's here. You know He's going to be laying down the facts, and he's going to be laying down the knowledge. Mm, definitely and we're really going to need it this time Mm because we're going to be dealing with i think an issue that is very very important for christians uh right now i think especially so in this current political social climate uh now honestly I'll, i'll i'll be honest with this i i didn't really know uh i didn't it's not that i didn't know that this uh we're going to be talking about a branch sect uh offshoot of christianity uh i I didn't know that it the specific thing existed though i always knew uh the i guess the fruit of you know what this group um can bear but we're going to be talking about uh progressive christianity and this is not to be confused with um you know like in political terms what progressive would normally mean although i think it does share a lot of similarities with it or share some ties um, with the more progressive or liberal sides of um, politics in in a lot of ways but yeah i think this is going i think this is a very big problem uh, for the church because um, i guess we should define it first Uh, and from from what i've heard right I, i did a little one week crash course on this i on progressive christianity and i think they described it as like it's called progressive christianity because they believe that you know christianity is constantly evolving it's like progressing so the christianity of the early church is going to be different than the christianity that we have now because you know obviously now we've we know so much more than the people of the early church so it's just obvious that um the religion will be changing uh, as time goes on. Uh, but do you guys have any other definitions for progressive Christianity? Yeah, um, I, I think it's a great point um, for our listeners to be aware of it too. Because, um, you know, even if you're not Christian, you know, uh, given just how much, you know, you see Christianity make all these news headlines, especially with recent events, it's definitely something that's become more and more um, divisive, even within Christian circles. And it comes to show in, you know, worldly politics and how people um, are starting to, you know, go to church or believe in God, or, you know, how oftentimes people are saying there's less and less Christians in the United States, which I think the number used to be somewhere around 50%. But since now, it's, uh, it's been decreasing over time. Um, But yeah, I think progressive Christianity, one of the big hallmarks of this term um, is this idea of who Jesus is and what did he come to bring, right? Um, I think that's where, you know, there's a lot of difference between what traditional Christianity is and what liberal Christianity is. And um, in a sense that progressive Christians, they often see Jesus not as somebody who is meant to be worshipped, but rather he's just a model to live by, right? That he's somebody that you should try to imitate, right? He's an example for us to be like. 
And so there's this big emphasis on Jesus being a human being, right? And how he came to this earth in order for us to follow him and be like him. Mm-hmm. And that's all that Jesus is. Um, and then as a result, you start getting down this kind of rabbit hole of focusing on works, right? Kind of going into this mentality of, okay, all my value as a human being comes down to how good or bad that I am. And that's all that God cares about in his eyes is just my goodness and my badness. Um, And that sort of subtle distortion is what starts kind of, you know, taking us away from the core message of the gospel that, you know, Jesus came to die for sinners, you know, not because of anything that we have done, but because it's by the grace of God. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So I, I would say progressive Christianity wants to take a step away from that idea of God's grace um, and the work of Jesus on the cross for our sins and dying for us um, and kind of superimposing it into a, you know, human model just to follow and live by. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you guys as well. I think we all know someone that is progressive in, like, their ways of thinking. Like, we have probably some Christian friends that are, like, progressive and they have like the greatest intentions, but at the same time, it's just like, but this is what the Bible says, and this is what you're saying, and you're trying to fit your own like scripture into your own ideologies, and I think that's where sometimes it gets warped in the sense that um, like the gospel may be watered down so that anybody can get into heaven or anybody can be um, can become Christian or you know, like, there's not as much condemnation as there should be. Um, But, yeah, when I think about, like, progressive Christians, I think it's mostly, like, the image of, like, social justice warriors um, that are also, like, um, Christian as well. And which, it's not bad to be, like, wanting justice for the marginalized groups, but it does hurt when they focus so much on the person and not enough on god himself and the gospel that like jesus is the one that is is supposed to save not us and i feel like that's where things are misconstrued so yeah this is my spiel (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and i think to really give us a framework to work by uh joe said something earlier that i just wanted to talk about a little bit more so um, there's there's a book written called The Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity by Michael Kruger, and I was listening to a podcast about it. Unfortunately, I didn't get to finish it, so I only have the uh, first two points out of ten. But I think that those two points set up uh, what's probably going to be our following conversation well enough. And um, like what Joe was saying, the first commandment of that you know Michael Kruger says of progressive Christianity is that Jesus is a model for living more than an object for worship. And this kind of hints at the idea of moralism where, um, yeah, Jesus was just like a good guy. We're supposed to listen to him. I think people compare him a lot to Gandhi and like the things that uh, he did. And like, oh oh, yeah, like, you know, Gandhi did a lot of great things. We should like try to live by the same kind of rules that uh, he did. And it kind of turns Christianity a little bit into... Um, just who can have the best morals in a lot of senses. And the second commandment was 
Um, affirming people's potential is more important than reminding them of their brokenness, which I think is something that we can see far more easily where, you know, instead of telling people, hey, I think that there might be a sin issue here or, hey, like you're doing this thing. And you know, I don't think that like, I think this is some sin. and I think that you should uh, stop doing this. Uh, we as a society as a whole kind of have gone to the point where we're like well you know it's okay like everybody everybody messes up you know you're not you're not actually that bad um you're like you're you're doing fine all that kind of stuff and i just wanted to ask you guys uh keeping these two in mind right i think um i've also heard that um you know progressive christians generally don't aren't like or I guess progressive Christians aren't converted from atheist or agnostic or uh, from a different faith system. Generally, they come from like one part of Christianity into progressive Christianity. So why do you guys think progressive Christianity looks so appealing to Christians these days, uh, keeping those two commandments in mind? We don't want to hurt people's feelings. <laughs> That's that's such a huge part. Um, I think yeah, that yeah. <laughs> yeah, we want to keep the peace. We want to you know share the love. You know we want to mm. you know, we want to be sort of just tiptoeing around the problem while not really addressing the problem. Um, mm -hmm. Because we don't want the other person to feel shamed. We don't want the other person to feel hurt. Um, and which, yeah, we're not like as Christians, we're not supposed to shame anybody. We're not, we're not technically supposed to um, bring down our brothers and sisters, but we're supposed to to speak truth into them, right? And I think that that's a big part of it is um, speaking truth into our brothers and sisters. But yeah, I think progressive Christianity is all about like, oh, I want to love you so much that I don't want to see your sin anymore. Like, I, I just want to see you as a person, uh, and I don't want to change anything about you because I love you so much. Mm -hmm. um, but I think as Christians, we are meant to point point people back to Christ and let Christ do all the work, which is the change um, for people. And I think when we think about, like, social justice and... Um, like warriors are Christian, I think a lot of times they miss that part where Jesus does the works and not us. Um, so, I don't know. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I think um, something that you brought up that's really interesting, right, is, is where did progressive Christianity even come from? Like, why is it such an appealing thing to even believe in, right? Um, and, and what you touched upon was this idea of, you know, keeping the peace and, you know, just wanting to avoid conflicts in general. Um, you know, if we if we look a little bit further back in history about, you know, why this movement really gained traction, right? Um, looking back at the start of Protestant Christianity, there was such a huge emphasis on works, right? And you had to do all these different things uh, in order to go to heaven, right? That's where you had indulgences, right? You had to uh, you know, partake within certain sacraments, certain sort of ways. And then as, you know, the certain reformers started coming into the picture, they started realizing, hey, wait a second, this isn't really the gospel. 
right? The gospel isn't built on your works um, because that's not what saves you. Ultimately, it's Jesus who saves, right? And then, you know, then that's where we see Protestant Christianity kind of come into the circle uh, where we came to realize, yeah, like it's, it is a relationship built on faith and that's what changes our lives. Um, but then within recent times, it, you, you kind of see this push going back, you know, going back to this work-based mentality, this moralism, um, just focusing on the works. Um, and so this kind of swing back to the old times is kind of a, you know, a reaction to where um, Protestant Christianity finds itself in conflict with the modern world that we live in, right? And so... Um, the, the reason why it's gained so much traction within recent years is a mix of ideologies and frustrations with conservative, quote unquote, Christians, right? Um, those who generally adhere to a more traditional understanding of faith, uh, believing that Jesus did die for us, right? And he came to save us from God's wrath. So what we see in the more modern, postmodern era is this kind of change in an understanding of truth right? What is true? What is ultimately truth, right? And that's where we see a lot of pluralism enter into the world, right? You have all these different religious beliefs. And, you know, it's kind of like looking back in all this history, all these historical conflicts came as a result of differences between uh, different religious groups, different ideological groups. So let's just avoid these problems altogether. Let's just accept all of it. Um, and so that's where a lot of progressive Christians wanted to just be accepting of people. Right, wanted to open the doors of the church to include everyone. And so there's a lot of great intentions to what progressive Christians seek to accomplish. Right? They, they have recognized that you know, a lot of things that conservative Christians have often done have hurt people around them. Right? And so there are some certain truths to be gleaned from, I think, progressive Christians. They do have some very valid criticisms of conservative Christianity. Um, for instance, you know, conservative Christians have often been notably um, detached from worldly affairs, right? So some, some conservative Christians have often thought, you know, well, you know, God is all about heaven. He's all about, you know, spiritual matters. So we should just not get involved with politics, right? We should just not get involved in the world around us. Um, almost like we're like monks, right? Just trying to avoid everything that's around. Um, and at the same time, you know, progressive Christians, they rightly pointed out, you know, no, that's not really what the Bible is teaching, right? The Bible does teach us to be involved in the world around us, right? To care for the oppressed, um, to show love to others in tangible and meaningful ways. Um, and so there, there is a very valid frustration, um, I think, that progressive Christians have brought up. Um, however, when it came to trying to address these needs that they were rightly recognizing, they wanted to compromise, in a sense, on what the true basis of Christian faith is, rather than understanding, you know, what has Jesus, Jesus's completed work on the cross done for our lives, and how does that affect the world around us, right? And so I, I think progressive Christianity, oftentimes you can, you can kind of, people sometimes give it too harsh of a rap, I think, you know, just saying that, oh, just because it's progressive, therefore it's bad, it's wrong. Um, but there are very heartfelt needs that need to be addressed by um, conservative Christians as well, right? If you are a believer in Jesus, you have to be, you know, wrestling with your understanding of what is the Bible, right? What is a Christian's role in the world around them? Um, so I think there's a lot of great things that we can glean from these criticisms and 
be encouraged in our faith as Christians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's well said. Um, there, Yeah, it's not to say that there's absolutely nothing to be gained from progressive Christianity. It's that, <laughs> it's that I think it, in, in the long run, I think it'll do more harm than good, right? It's st- it doesn't it's, there's it's not like there's no good to be done um from it. Like we do need to learn a, a few things from it, but we need to be very careful with mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. what we do pick up from it. Um because I think in a lot of ways, right? Um I agree with a lot of uh what you guys said, uh, especially with the idea that like we're progressive christians i feel like are christians who are really trying to adapt to the culture that we are currently in like yeah they just they just want to try to address all these um social needs and all that kind of stuff but in the same in the same um breath they don't want to abandon their christian faith but now they're left in a situation where uh they 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 don't want to not be a christian they want to be able to address social needs and so what they do um and here's i think a really key point is they um twist christianity to support what they want to do and what they want to believe uh within like a social or political realm Mm -hmm. uh where Mm -hmm. as as christians we should be um you know standing firm in christianity and then molding our view around that right um it's like how do you like as a christian and then as a obviously a person in this world right which one is going to be the uh, main focus and then which one are you going to um use to wrap your mind around right like are you yeah are you standing firm in what you believe as a person uh as a citizen of whatever air like country you live in or whatever um group that you're a part of or are you going to yeah be standing be thinking as a christian and something i want to point out um and then after this we're unless you guys have anything else you want to add we're probably going to go into um the more interesting part of this uh conversation where we're going to be trying to address a few points uh made by some progressive christians uh something i want to point out is when is the fact that when we hear i think a lot of like progressive christians speak I think it's a lot of times it's very persuasive. Like a lot of times if you're, if you're just casually listening to them, I think a lot of things will make a lot of sense. Right. I think that they rightly point out, like Joe said, um, some issues that uh, Christians have generally um, overlooked and they want to address them. But then they're the way that they choose to do so is the part that, I think they get it wrong. Um, Mm. But the way that they address them is very, it's very smart. Um, Mm -hmm. Like from, from like the, from what I've heard a lot of times, right. What I think progressive Christians will like to do is um, whether they know this or not. I think a lot of times they take the Bible out of context, right. Um, They'll take a verse, right. I, I, I shared um, this, tiktok of this this like progressive christian um with uh nick and joe and he was like he was talking about jesus's um talk with this uh syrophoenician woman about you know like oh the 
um like why would i give like uh, food to the children like to the dogs and then the guy's like jesus called this woman a dog and he is being like he's using a racial slur because she's of a different um, race than him and all that kind of stuff and if you were just to hear that um and if you had i guess not not a very firm grasp of the bible like i i shared it with a few of my friends who i don't think have maybe as strong of a um hold on the bible as like joe you would have um being like a seminary student and like they 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 rightly told me this sounds fishy right i showed i showed my ninth grade class this and they're like i don't like i don't think that's right like i don't know how you can call jesus a racist but they couldn't point out why right they knew something was wrong but they didn't know why and you know as we know like uh, when jesus calls her a dog it's not like uh um how we would like i guess use the oh the female dog like connotation um right now it's it's more of like it's like a closer to like a term of endearment it's like what you would call like a puppy or something like a household Mm -hmm. pet type of dog um and so like he's taking the bible out of context now whether he knows that or not right is like who knows and i'm sure that a lot of um, progressive christians who aren't like leader like progressive christians probably don't just don't know right they're told things and then they believe certain things because you know that's what the plain text of the bible says like take that one verse out um, but then, I don't know, maybe look at it in context and you'll see, oh, it's kind of different um, and all that kind of stuff. And I think that sometimes, like, I think progressive Christians are also very good at using very persuasive language, right? Um, they're they're able to say things in a way that really, like, tug on your heartstrings and you're just like, oh, like, yes, this is a problem. And, like, like as a Christian, we need to stop it and all that kind of stuff. But... You know, at the same time, I think that the the flowery language works to distract us from, like, the heart behind the message, I think. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of people tend to use, like, appeals to emotions these days. Like, not even just progressive Christians. Just, like, people in general, like, like um, media in general, like, influencers. Like, it's very easy to get people with emotional language. And it's just something that we need to um, really be aware of, right? I, I'm teaching First Corinthians, and like Paul says, like we didn't come to you with like these wise and like persuasive speeches. Like we came to you with the plain message of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Like gospel is going to stand by mm-hmm. itself. Like we don't need to try to make it sound any better than it already is. And that's exactly what these like uh, what a lot of progressive Christians are doing. And I'm just like Paul, uh, Paul, all the way back then right knew that this was going to happen so it's something that we need to um keep in mind uh but yeah do you guys have anything else you guys want to say right now before we head into some of the uh the points that we're going to be talking about in the second half of this yeah i think um one thing that's also helpful for understanding what's going on behind uh this movement of progressive christianity i, I think we you mentioned um something by dr kruger uh, who's a he's a great professor teacher um, author. Um, he, he has mentioned that, you know, part of the worldview stems from an idea of who Jesus is as a model, um, as well as, you know, affirming people that they have all this potential and avoiding their, uh, and avoiding this discussion about brokenness and sin. Um, but there's also another underlying view that, uh, 
that progressive Christians often have. And it stems from a very good series of questions that they have. And I think that's a big theme of progressive Christianity is there's all these questions that progressive Christians have that they just feel like they were not able to reconcile with the traditional Christian view. Um, and so they wanted to kind of steer off into another direction. And I think one big question a lot of progressive Christians have is how is the God of the Bible good? Right. And that's a big question that a lot of progressive Christians have. They, they just read the, the God of the Bible and they're like, man, he seems like such a horrible person. So self-centered, so arrogant. Um, he's, he claims to be about love, but the things that he does doesn't seem to reflect that. And so when, where they perceive this sense of conflict, um, they ended up taking these conflicts and, and saying, well, okay, clearly then therefore the God of the Bible isn't exactly who he is, right? He changes, right? And so what they ended up doing is kind of doing what I like to call like a build-a-bear with theology, right? You take the parts that you like, anything that you think sounds good, and you end up building up your own theology. Um, and so a lot of it, you know, stemming from their questions, they end up spiraling it out into whatever they want to make palatable uh, for their own understanding, their own truth. Um, and so therefore, there's so many different forms of progressive Christianity out there, right? They all have different spins, different nuances, because they have different questions. And so they come to different conclusions, and they end up imparting their own understanding of who God is onto who God should be, in a sense. And so at the core of it, not only do we see an issue that uh, progressive Christians have uh, is with who they, what they see in the Bible, but it's also what we see as a result of sin, right? Uh, because of that broken relationship that we have with God that is only mended because of Jesus, right? This broken relationship uh, ends up informing these progressive Christians to believe, okay, because God isn't who I want him to be, therefore I need to change him, right? I need to mold him into my likeness. Whereas we see in all the way back in Genesis chapter one that we are made in God's likeness. And so the heart of true Christianity is understanding that God is first, we are his creation, right? We, are, we aren't the ones who create God and say who he ought to be. Rather, it's quite the opposite. He's the one who creates us and he declares us who we ought to be. He's the one who gives us purpose. He's the one who teaches us what is love, what is truth. Um, so yeah, I think that's another way to understand where progressive Christianity comes from. It's a lot of great questions that I think very helpful um, for, for Christians to think about, even if you're not a Christian. I think there are great things to think about and understanding what your worldview is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think everything is very... I think the questions are presented are very gray. Nothing is very black and white a lot of times. Long story short, I think that we need to, I think as any Christian, I think we need to like struggle with these like questions and to understand like what does the Bible say about these things. And a lot of times I feel as if the reason why progressive Christians feel like they want need to change it into their own ideology or their own like fit their agenda and like fit the bible into their own agenda is because what they heard wasn't what they want to hear like i think a lot of times we hear that oh like trust in god or you know like um 
like we gotta keep praying so that like we can hear what God's trying to say and whatnot. Um, but I think a lot of times progressive Christians, um, there's like not really a trust in where like God's going, so they try to put it put it into their own hands or try to put it into their own interpretations, to where if as we were saying earlier, it fits into their own mold of Christianity, and I think this is how different like segments of Christianity kind of like happens because of this um like thought process because your Jesus could be very different from my Jesus and I think that is something that can be said for a lot of different religions um and especially for like just progressive like Christianity I think when we're talking about that um video from TikTok earlier a big part of just like the way that they see Jesus is completely different from how me, Joe, and Greg see Jesus and who God is. Um, they can call themselves Christian, but in our eyes and from other Christians, they're not, they're like a different section or they're not even like, I would say Christian at some points because they don't have the same God that we do. They're, basically molding jesus into something else <laughs> that's not jesus so yeah that's yeah. that's that's a great point where yeah at some point is like are, are you like are you even christian anymore like what is it that you actually believe in like it, it's it's kind of crazy that like yeah I, <laughs> I was listening to a uh sermon from a progressive christian and he's like yeah, like sometimes I ask Jesus, well, what do you think? And then Jesus asks me, well, what do you think? And then, <laughs> oh, no. and then it's like, and then I say like, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then, it's like, and then Jesus says, whatever, whatever, whatever. So literally like, it's not like Jesus for him becomes himself. Like he's literally Jesus because oh, Jesus no. is just, his Jesus is just going to agree with whatever he says. And it's like, mm. are you even a Christian at that point? <laughs> crazy mm -hmm. and um yeah obviously right what, what we're talking about it's not going to apply to every single like person who labels themselves as a progressive christian right there's just as there are um like different levels of every literally everything like one these are i guess we're making like blanket statements but i think that um i think fundamentally a lot of these um are probably pretty um widespread so yeah if you if you do identify yourself as a progressive christian and you're like well i don't think that well i'm glad <laughs> i'm glad that you're not <laughs> thinking these things but i guess in a lot of ways it can be a warning just as a, someday you might end up believing these things um but yeah so mm -hmm. now let, let's let's go into this i guess i think this part's going to be a little more fun um I have, I, I sent Joe and Nick 23, I guess, statements put out by this one um, progressive Christian group. And we're just going to go through some of them. Not all 23, because that is a lot. And we're just going to try to like talk about, like talk through them, address them and like give our thoughts on them. Because this is, this is going to be a little more um, doctrine-y heavy. Uh, but yeah, I think that the, these really go deep into... I think these expose what progressive Christians, I think, might be thinking. Um, and I think that that's very important for us to understand 
um, if we either think these way this way or we know people who think this way. Um, and I think out of the 23, you can break them down into basically five or six of them. And hopefully I get to, you know, show all of those. But uh, this first one's going to be a little funny. It says, um, okay, it sounds funny, but I think the, <laughs> what it's actually getting at is not that funny. Um, the wrath of God and hell aren't literal. They're metaphors for swimming against the flow of God's love. Now, weird. Yeah, for like a lazy river. Yeah, of God's love, yeah. When we when we were when we were talking about this before we started, we were just laughing at the idea of like, oh, ah, yeah. yeah, we're just you're just going against the flow, man. Like, come on. <laughs> so so Joe, I guess what's what's wrong with this statement? Uh. Yeah, so I think where the, you know, the point of conflict that a progressive Christian sees here is, you know, they, they, they just see like, oh, man, like, how can God be about pain? How can he about, be about punishment, right? Isn't God love, right? Isn't he all about kindness and goodness? Like, how, how, can, how can God and hell exist in the same uh, realm of things, right? It's just in the progressive Christian's understanding, they're like, man, it just doesn't seem to add up, right? Um, and so, you know, part of what we see is, uh, with why they believe this is, well, first of all, not really opening up their Bibles. There's a very clear message of punishment, you know, uh, sin comes with a price to it, right? You know, the, the punishment of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, right? And so when you're taking away the punishment of sin and death, you're also taking away the gift of life, right? And so, you know, these these two parts come with each other. Um, and so trying to just do away the whole notion of hell, you know, they just want to paint God in a picture of love and kindness. Um, but then what you kind of ignore is, you know, if there is no wrath of God, then there's no punishment for anything that's evil, right? Uh, so then, therefore, what what a progressive Christian actually is saying, you know, well, not necessarily saying, but what they're actually implying subtly is that evil isn't that bad, right? Doing bad things, it's really not that bad, you know. Mm -hmm. um, what you're going against God, rebelling against him, you know, it's not, it's not the worst thing that you can do in the world, right? Um, but in reality, far from it, right? Sin is the greatest uh, offense that you could ever have right it you know how horrible it is like if you were to offend your parents right oh man like if you ever like cussed at your parents man you'd be like grounded for months right the you whooping know? yeah that, or you get whooped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but how much more it is you know like just saying hey god like you're wrong i don't like you like i'm gonna run away from you like you suck i'm gonna rebel against you you know how is how is god going to just allow that to slide right and so in a sense, what hell really is, is God giving you what you wanted. You didn't want to be part, of, you didn't want to be with God, then go ahead, just get out of my presence then, right? Um, so hell, in a sense, is a punishment, but in a sense, it's also exactly what somebody wants, right? They don't want to be with God, they don't want to be in his presence, then God says, fine, here, take it then, right? Um, so, yeah, there's a there's a very clear tension, I think, with um, you know wanting to just reconcile God's love, um, uh, you know, with trying to understand how that works in our world. But 
you know, just doing away the notion of God being a just God, right? And that he does care when things are bad, right? And that he wants us to uphold good, right? Then there's no incentive for us to do good. There's no, you know, there's nothing wrong that we could ever really do. And so it, it goes against God's whole character, right? It's saying that God is both good and evil at the same time then, right? Or that, you know, evil just doesn't exist and it's just ignorant. Um, so I think God's love and God's wrath, right? They aren't in conflict with one another, uh, but they have to be held tensely with one another in, in the person of who God is um, so that you can truly have punishment for things that are wrong and reward for, you know, what is right, uh, what is righteous. Mm-hmm. And Joe, mm-hmm. you you're you're really good at setting up these segues for us, because right <laughs> off right off that right, you're talking about God's justice and how God is just and loving. Now the next point is God's justice isn't punitive; it is restorative. Which this one's a tricky one, um, because it I think a lot of times it is restorative. But to say, right, that it's it's not punitive, like there's no such thing as punitive mm-hmm. justice in God's realm, I think is a little uh, it's a little incorrect. What do you what do you guys think? Nick, you have any thoughts, or I could I could share oh. a little more about this, or um, I think that yeah, I didn't really have many things to say about this one because I felt like we already kind of addressed it earlier. Um. Dude, it is God's justice is punitive, isn't it? <laughs> like there, there is <clears throat> some there is punishment at the end, um, but there's also restoration as well, in which I think I can't really say much about it. Um, <laughs> I think Joe, I think you'll have a better way of explaining it um, than I. Oh, that's- <laughs> Great, just getting to hear some of your thoughts, honestly. Um, yeah, like I mean, I, I have reflected on the, these kinds of questions for myself. Even when I was struggling with my faith, um, you know, growing up, I had a lot, a lot of these similar questions, and you know, wrestling through them, I started realizing that they don't hold themselves up. Um, but yeah, like this idea that God's justice isn't about punishment; it's not punitive. Rather, it's about restoration. You know, there is a partial truth to it, right? God doesn't just leave us in a state of eternal punishment, never having any sense of hope, but he gives us Jesus, right? He has Mm -hmm. given us a new hope in the person of Jesus, putting our faith in him. Our hope is in him, right? So in a sense, he he gives us this opportunity for restoration. Um, However, you know, just saying that, you know, God's justice isn't about punishment, then therefore, you know, if if God's justice doesn't involve punishment, and again, nothing's really that bad. Nothing is really wrong in God's eyes, right? Um, there is a very clear, I think there are some reasons why some people have leaned into this notion. Um, part of it is actually related to political reasons. Um, seeing some of the tensions that, uh, you know, uh, with mass incarceration, seeing how prison, uh, how prison inmates are often being mistreated. You know, a lot of this has kind of, spark this idea that, oh, punishment isn't a way to restore somebody at all, right? You have to do things in a positive sort of manner, right? Like, get rid of anything that's about negative reinforcement. Just do use positive reinforcement. Um, it sounds good. It sounds pretty, right? Um, 
but it's far from the reality of what it means to uphold justice, right? Because if there's no punishment for somebody committing murder, you know, what's stopping that person from just committing murder another time, right? Mm -hmm. Or stealing mm -hmm. again, right? There's, there's no, there's no cost, you know, it's, it's free for this person. There is only a reward for benefits, but you're not really losing anything for doing something bad, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so for, in order for God to be truly loving and truly just, right, to be really caring about what is right and wrong, there has to be a punishment for sin, right? And ultimately, mm -hmm. it leads us to death, right? God has given all of us an opportunity to live, and that is a gift, right? Every single one of us, we, we live in light of a gift, right? Um, and so God isn't ever taking away something that truly belongs to us, right, when he like, condemns us to hell. Rather, he's just taking back what he already give, gave us, right? He's taking back what he has given. Um, and so part of this notion is also an identity that is built around I own my life. It is for me to use, right? It belongs to me. So God doesn't have any right over it. And in a sense, putting our place into God's place. But rather, since God is the one who gives us life, you know, what he gives, he can take away, right? Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. really ours to begin with, right? It's, it's, it's all a gift, right? We don't have any true hold over it. We never created it ourselves, but it's given. Uh, so yeah, God, um, in his punishment, he only takes back what was rightfully his to begin with. And I think what you said at the end there was really good where, like, I think the idea, right, when, when, we, when people say God's justice isn't punitive, it's restorative, a lot of times it could be pretty, like, self-seeking where it's like, God, like, God's, like, it's restorative, like, like to me like god's god's not going to punish me like god's going to restore me um because a lot of times we, we start to think of like oh jesus died for my sins now i'm doing pretty well like those are gone and so in the same way um when you say that it's only restorative it's kind of saying that it's it's i think for some people it's like oh i'll like it's it's a very self-centered kind of thing and mm -hmm. also also to this like if you're saying it's not punitive if you everything is all restored what the heck happened with sodom and gomorrah like True. like what happened with the flood like i don't see these thing these punishments as <laughs> restorative um in like any way and also I, I actually heard right i was listening to a podcast where people were talking about this and somebody said like Maybe like it is restorative, but it's not like a personal restorative. It's like a cosmic restorative. Like God is restoring the state of like the universe by removing sin. Like I, I he's I I thought about that and that's kind of crazy. Um, Whoa. Yeah, it's like like God, maybe God is restoring. Like He's restoring the state of the world to like what it was in the beginning. As like, I was I was blown away. I thought that was. I think Interesting. Yeah, there is there is some truth to that. I think it's actually even better than just restoration, though. Um, so, like, I think a lot of people think, you know, because especially when you read the Bible, you see all the way back in Genesis chapter one, you see Garden of Eden. You look all the way towards the end, right? Book of Revelation, you see almost like this renewed Eden, right? So a lot of people think, oh, you know, what heaven is like is just a return back to what Eden is. But actually, when God is restoring us, it's actually something even better than what there was mm. to begin with, right? Because in Eden, 
Adam still had the opportunity to fall into his sin, right? But Mm -hmm. with the new Eden, right, with heaven, what we see is that there is no more possibility for us to fall out of God's grasp because he has put death to death, right? So it's even, it's an even better Eden than to begin with, right? Mm Because God is saying, I have put down whatever there was that would ever lead you away from goodness and kindness and love, right? And death is put to death and our life is truly eternal at that point. So I think it's, yeah, it's, it's more than just, you know, going back to the past. Rather, it's something, it's an, it's a sealed future that is eternally good for us. Mm, very Amen. true. Very true. That's really nice. All right. Next one. This, this one, this one is, uh, I think, I think this is kind of like a hallmark of modern progressive Christianity. No one is saved because they picked the right religion any more than they're condemned because they picked the wrong one. And um, to go along with this, another one of the points is you're not going to hell just because you didn't pick Christianity before you die any more than you're not going to heaven because you said a magical sinner's prayer at church camp. What are you guys' Hmm. thoughts? So, yeah, I'm also I also want to kind of add on a question that maybe we could also think about is, you know, where did this question where where did this belief even come from? What do you guys think is like that tension that they observe with uh, what traditionally has been taught uh, among Christians? Nick, you want to take a shot at this? Oh, that was the question, Joe. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I was, yeah, I was just kind of wondering what your thoughts might be on, you know, as to you know, what sort of questions sparked these kinds of beliefs, right? What sort of tensions um, did they see that, like, you know, oh, something just doesn't quite seem right. Um, and and so, therefore, this is a conclusion that they got to, right? Because I think a lot of times it, it comes back to a question to start with. Um, yeah. I'm trying to formulate this in my head, like, in a better sense or more like... I'm trying to structure this down, but I'm not mm-hmm. really... Tr- getting the full picture of like what they're saying is that no one is saved because they picked the right religion and no one is saved because they pay they picked the wrong one right is that like where it's yeah so it's basically like there are multiple ways to be saved like there are Mm -hmm. multiple like it's like the whole like the mountain illustration like we're all trying to reach the top of the mountain and like there are Mm -hmm. multiple paths to go up to reach what is this an elevator or something like (laughs) honestly bro (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, we're going to we're gonna talk about this later, but, like, you know, John fourteen six, like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Like, no one can get to the Father but me. And it's saying, like, if it's saying that no one is saved because they picked the right religion any more than they are condemned because they picked the wrong one, like, what religion are they choosing? <laughs> like, who are they following? What is their, what, like, where are they going? <laughs> yeah, from what it sounds like, it just seems like they are thinking, oh, and from what we... I just heard is that anybody can get into heaven basically even if you pick the wrong path is that where it's going for yeah I think so and that's yeah that's mm-hmm. not good <laughs> that's not that's not the way that's not the truth that's not the life <laughs> amen dude amen yeah. dude yeah <laughs> like I think I think the or one of the reasons why they kind of came to this belief um, is because they they just can't. I, th- I think they they were using an illustration where it's like, let's say there's like Becky the 
the like American Christian and then like Bertha the like devout Muslim and like Becky's super mean to everybody and she's like irritable and she cramps like her faith into other people's faces and makes them like tears them down but then Bertha's super devout she loves her neighbors and she's like a good like practicing Muslim like is it fair that Mm. Becky goes to heaven and then Bertha doesn't just because Mm oh bertha's a muslim and becky's a christian and i think it's the idea that like once again it goes back to that first tenet where it's it's all about moralism it's about what you do like Mm -hmm. as long as you're a good person then you can make your way up to heaven which i think we all know if you listen to what jesus says is just completely wrong Mm -hmm. yeah i think something i remember when i was in high school um, one of the counselors gave me this question, just like, what about, I think it was almost like about missions, but one of the questions was like, oh, if there was a man in Africa who has never heard of the gospel, um, but he has done good all of his life, will will he be able to go to heaven? And I think it's like a way to struggle about it. And it's saying like, you're saying like, oh, this man is a hundred percent good, right? And that's why, um, that's why he's able to, you know, go to heaven. But when we what we find out is that all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that's where you know we're all fault in faults. We all have um, shed blood onto Jesus, and we are not clean, right? And so there is no such thing as this perfect man who has done good all of his life because we are born into this world of sin and we are we are part of it um and which that's why like i think people are just thinking like oh yeah like like john's great because he's such a nice guy uh even though he doesn't believe in jesus like he has some jesus qualities and just like uh, that's not what it is it's like <laughs> That ain't the it, whole Chief. point. Yeah, that ain't it. Like, we have to follow Jesus. Jesus is the one that purifies us, the one that washes away our sin. That's how we're right in front of God. Um, but I think a lot of times we want us, we want our, we want our friends, we want our families to look good in front of God, even though they are not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a big part. For sure. Yeah. I think there was a lot of big things that you covered in there. Yeah. I, I think what you touched on is also kind of related to their view of Jesus, right. And kind of undermining who Jesus is in a sense. Um, if all roads lead to heaven, it's, it's basically saying, you know, Jesus didn't really need to die for people's sins then. Right. Cause then, you know, you could have just believed in, in, in Buddhism or you could have believed, believed in hundreds of Hindu gods. And then you could have, just gone to heaven that sort of way right there was no need for jesus to do anything then um and but i think one of the tensions that and sorry for the kind of bad setup for earlier i I think uh i I think this was probably because it was just a question that i thought of in the past as well is you know why can't god just let everybody go to heaven right you know because you know somebody might see there's so much good that these non-christian people are doing there seem to be such good individuals right so like why what makes them deserving right 
Like what, what, like what, what, I mean, what makes them undeserving, right? Why can't they go to heaven as well? Just because they didn't believe in one person, that's, that's it. But look at all these good things that they did, right? And as we mentioned, right, the Bible is very clear on the message of sin, right? That even the slightest bit of sin means that we are condemned in God's eyes, right? Because therefore we aren't perfect, right? And so therefore, how can you have the perfect metal with the imperfect for eternity, right? And so, you know, because it's not about how much good we've done, but just because we have imperfection, because we have sinned against God. And in a sense, the slightest sins means that we're a lawbreaker, right? We are a criminal in God's eyes. In his court, we can only stand there as a criminal, right? And so this view both lowers the, the harshness of what sin is doing in people's lives, um, not only lowering you know, the importance of sin, but also lowering the goodness of God and just how holy he is and how perfect and righteous he is, right? Um, and so they just want to include all these other beliefs and say, yeah, you know, come one, come all, whatever you believe, come on in, right? Like, let's just have a potluck of religions and just eat whatever we want and just pick things from each religion. And then, you know, that'll teach us what goodness is. Um, and so, you know, kind of going back to that Build-A-Bear theology sort of thing, right? Trying to state uh, what, these, uh, what these progressive Christians are kind of saying is, oh, there's all these good things that these other religions have. Um, and so we need to, you know, realize, oh, that's something good in their religion. So let's import it into Christianity, right? But in reality, what's actually going on is that because of who God is and what God's character is, there's a reason why you realize in the first place that there's even goodness in another religion, right? The reason why something looks good and looks caring and loving is because of who God ultimately is. He is perfectly loved. He is perfectly good, right? And so anything that we see from um, any non-Christian, you know, whether they're Buddhist or Hindu, you know, any sort of meritable thing that they seem to be showing is actually them reflecting God's goodness, his kindness, his love, right? Um, so just because somebody is of another religious belief, it doesn't mean that everything that they do is now a bad thing, right? They, they are still able, by the grace of God, to show good things in their lives, right? Um, for instance, upholding traditional family values, right? To show kindness to their neighbors, right? To show love. Like, these are all different things that God has given to every single one of us to show. Um, and it's part of what it means for us to be made in his image, right? Our goodness is reflected um, by him. But yeah, once you realize that sin really requires punishment, even the slightest bit of sin, God is not able to tolerate that. It can't just go um, brush under the rug. It makes us realize the severity of our sins. And I think that's, this is a, you know, something that Tim Keller is often notably uh, quoted on saying, basically, in a sense, uh, what it means for us to be Christian is realizing, you know, the more and more we realize our sinfulness, the more and more we realize just how great God's love is. And I think that's that's definitely a truth for us to realize as Christians, as we continue growing in our faith and understanding what is broken, we understand more and more what it means for God to have made us whole again. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. Thanks, son. 
I'll get off my soapbox now. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's um, that's what happens when you uh when you, you when you bring somebody who's a seminary student in here. You know, it's uh <laughs> you know I, I can't say it's, it's unexpected. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Um, so let's just hit let's just hit one more, um, and then we'll we'll summarize and wrap up. Uh, I think this one's also a very it's I think it's very interesting. I I never thought that uh i've never thought that this would be a problem that people would have somehow come up with but apparently it is um so here two more points uh they kind of go hand in hand okay the first one uh anyone who interprets the bible literally needs to take a literature class which first of all rude second of all (laughs) what like what what are you talking about also and that goes hand in hand with the second one um you will either use the Bible to interpret Jesus or Jesus to interpret the Bible. And I'm just going to throw all of them at you. Uh, Jesus loves me. This I know for he came to show us. So, and Jesus is the true word of God and not the Bible. And if you guys can't see what the, what progressive Christians are trying to say, they're trying to say that Jesus is opposed to the Bible somehow. Uh, How does that make any sense? It doesn't. Oh, true. <laughs> All right. Wrap the time to wrap this up. All right. <laughs> word no, became I mean, flesh. Put a stamp on it. <laughs> yeah, the word became flesh. I guess that's it. No, I'm just um, but no, I think a lot of times we hear that. I think for pro- some progressives believe that um, the letters are not written by God Himself, mm-hmm. right? Even though like all all scripture is breathed out by God. They don't believe that whatever Paul wrote, whatever Timothy wrote, like there are, I guess, like secondary sources or something. Like they're not like primary. Like we don't have to like trust what they write. Um, we can follow it, but we don't have to trust it. You know, like they're not God. Which, in my opinion, absolute garbage. <laughs> because Second Timothy three sixteen says all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable mm-hmm. for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I guess like I know Joe has a whole class about called like hermeneutics, and that's mm-hmm. the the study of like bit of biblical interpretations. I, I'm sure he's going to talk more about that. <laughs> but I like from what it sounds like is just people don't believe the bible is fully true and that needs to be upheld like i think the bible has a bunch of laws like do we have to abide to those laws do we have to abide to like the constitution the amendments that we have in america of course we do like we have freedom of speech we have like all these other like laws that are in place and i think that for jesus he fulfills the law and that's how we are able to you know be justified in front of god himself but yeah anyone who interprets the bible literally needs to take a literature class i mean like i i guess like like it's good to you know be more knowledgeable about literature and everything but at the same time (laughs) like like yeah we, we we need to take like the bible to a certain extent the bible we need to interpret to the best of our abilities and through like god's lenses not our lenses and once we put our lenses on like we just see a bunch of like rose color glasses because <laughs> everything it seems gray to us but for god it's very black and white like 
these things are meant to be upheld and these things aren't mm. um but for us it's i guess it's, it's a lot harder because like there are these questions um that hurt a lot of people because we think we believe that um like it's not right for um like people to love certain people or for um i don't know like I don't know, for people to go to different parties or whatnot, like, it's, there's a lot of gray areas, which, where we need to interpret, like, correctly, and so that we need better theology, we need better, um, ways to process all of this, a lot of time, we, we need good teachers, if we don't have good teachers, hmm. this is why we have, I guess, a lot of different Christianities, or different Jesuses, because, People don't have the right theology. People aren't reading their Bibles or going to seminary and finding out, like, what is Jesus really saying? You, you don't have to go to, like, seminary to do that. But, like, that is a big part. Like, what is Jesus saying? Like, take myself out of the picture and just focus on, like, what is the context of the, like, of the passage? What is going on during this time frame? Um, what is Jesus trying to say? How should this be applied into our lives? Um, today's like culture and everything. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I'll, I'll step off now and I'll let Joe, you know, take take it away. <laughs> take the stage. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I think you, you touched on like a lot of the, the tension that, you know, people see with, you know, how, how do we basically interpret the Bible, right? It, it's a tough question and it's something you could study for lifetimes mm -hmm. you know to try to understand more and more and you know people are still trying to grapple with uh the certain tensions as well and i think one of the big tensions that a lot of progressive christians and i think a lot of you know, traditional christians ought to wrestle with as well is how do you uh how do you deal with the fact that the bible is both authored by god right as nick had mentioned second timothy it mentions how all scripture is breathed out by god right at the same time, it's also written by these human authors, right? How do you resolve this tension between human authorship and divine authorship, right? Uh, how do you wrestle with the fact that the Bible is written both by the finite and the infinite, right? It's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to grapple with and to understand that, yes, at the same time, it is written by God. And so this, this truth is, it spans across all eternity. Yet at the same time, it was written by specific human authors into specific contexts for specific people, a certain audience, right? And it is directly written to them and they, uh, they're, they're able to grasp these truths. And, you know, of course, as Christians, we're part of this covenant community as well that God has intended for these writings to be passed over to. But yeah, wrestling with that tension, it's, it is challenging. And I think responding to that first objection, right, that people who interpret the Bible literally need to take a literature class. Um, it depends what you mean by literally, right? Um, because the Bible is not just one genre of writings, right? There's narratives, you have poetry, you have wisdoms, right? You have, um, you have didactic teachings, right? You have uh, all these different sorts of genres, all these different human forms of these literatures. And so you can't apply this same principle for interpreting, let's say, the book of Genesis, as you would interpret, let's say, the book of Psalms, right? Um, Genesis being more narrative, 
and a lot of storytelling, whereas Psalm, it's a lot of poetic language, right? It's, it's very descriptive. It's, uh, it's meant to appeal to our senses, to our emotions, to the heart. Um, and so part of the, the tension that we also need to understand is that literal, to interpret the Bible rightly, um, what it means to interpret it literally, it depends on the context, right? Um, how is it written? For what purpose is this written, right? And so understanding where these, um, where these kinds of concepts interlock, right? The human author and the audience that it's being directly addressed to, yeah, at the same time, how God is the author, and this is intended for all of God's people throughout all of history. Um, understanding how that tension gets kind of resolved um, is, is I think, a big key um, to understanding it. But where, progress, where a lot of progressive Christians kind of fall off is they just want to do away with the whole divine authorship, right? Just saying, oh, it's not really written by God. It's just written by people. And so we just only need to focus in on these small instances, these specific um, little, you know, groups in history, what it meant there, and then just kind of leave it at that point. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a it's a it's a big question for Christians to wrestle with and to try to dive deeper into and understand. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's something that people have spent lifetimes going into, which I won't you know dive into too much. But I think it's it's a good question for us to think about, um, you know, as we also read our Bibles. So, yeah. Mm hmm. Thank, thanks, you guys, for all of your answers. And yeah, I guess. In closing, um, what I, how, how do we sum this up? I think that, yeah, progressive Christianity is, uh, I think it gets very dangerous because the further you go down the road of progressive Christianity, the further and further you get from real Christianity, where soon, right, um, progressive Christianity soon dives into moral relativism um, and mm -hmm. then soon Jesus becomes whatever you make of him. God becomes whatever you make of him. Like you're starting to pit Jesus against God. Like how can like Jesus is so loving. God is so mean. Like you start to like do all these kinds of things. You start to misinterpret the Bible. And so many times it doesn't start from a bad place. It starts from a good one. But just because people don't have their theology straight, it leads them to make these kinds of errors. And a lot of these questions are very difficult. Um, and I think a lot of times what happens is people tend to try to take the easy way out instead of solving the question mm -hmm. straight up being like, why is this? Why are these things in conflict? I think the easier way is to just say, hey, let's just ignore this part of it and run with this part that sounds more appealing. And we'll say that it, we'll say that it's solved. But yeah, I think that, yeah, once again, like we've been saying, these these are good questions for us to all be thinking about. Um, and I think, yeah, everybody just needs to, I guess, watch out. Really, really talk. I think you need to talk with other people, especially people who don't necessarily agree with your stance on a lot of things. I think that being in fellowship, being in community helps you really get a hold of what your theology is, what doctrine um, you should be believing in. It'll keep you from, I guess, straying into the realm of, uh, the dangerous realm of progressive Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, thank you, Joe, so much yeah, for being here, so for dropping knowledge bombs on yeah. us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, for explaining so much. Now, yeah, 
Now, before before we end fully end, Joe, you know we gotta ask you for a few last words for the audience. Yeah, I, I think uh, something that I would kind of want to conclude on this topic is uh, is uh, it's related to my number one rule in life. Right. Ooh. So people that know me, I have fifteen rules of what I think every person should live by, and my number one rule for life is know what you believe and why you believe it. Mm. And and I think that's a, it, a lot of these things that we see, all these big questions we see with progressive Christianity, it's, it makes us wonder and makes us think and makes us try to understand more about what are the truths that we hold to and why do we hold to them, right? And so, you know, whether you're listening as somebody who's been a Christian for a long time or whether you're a new Christian or maybe you're not Christian at all, you know, I think this is, these are some good questions to wrestle with, right? Uh, what do you really believe? And what's the reason that you really believe it? And I think that is something that can set you up for a lifetime. Yeah, that's, uh, that's it for me. I'll drop the mic there. <laughs> Dang. All right. So so what we know now is we need to invite Joe back another time to just go over his 15 rules of life. <laughs> yes. Like, I'm not going to rest until it. this happens. Like Joe, we're, we're going to schedule you in for another round. <laughs> <laughs> yeah man he put it on his yeah. wall during his uh college years <laughs> oh yeah yeah i printed them out and yeah, yeah. they saw them yeah i think i i think i still have them somewhere in my room i don't i don't know exactly you where do. but you should put it a little, up. little cliffhanger for yeah, yeah for, we're, guess, we're gonna time. we're gonna get to the bottom of these 15 rules of life yeah. um but yeah once again joe thank you for being here and thank you everybody for listening we are amen and with the power of god and anime on our sides we hope to see you next time peace Amen. Amen. Amen.